and welcome to episode 9 of the Adventures in VHS podcast, the podcast devoted entirely to the lost format of VHS. This is the first time you've listened, the basic idea is that once every month or so, I take a look at one of the ex-rental VHS classics from my collection, explore everything about it, from the artwork to the trailers and beyond, before delving deep into a review of the movie itself. From time to time I even get to talk to one of the people behind the featured film and I can confirm that this is just such an episode as I'll be speaking directly to Mr. Jim Wynorski, the director of this episode's feature film, 1986's Chopping Mall. Uh, The podcast is intended to support the upcoming Adventures in VHS book that I'm currently writing uh, and we'll give a little update on shortly which is a personal journey back to the era and the format that sort of shaped my love for film, uh, along with an exploration of 50 of the movies that once adorned the shelves of my beloved local rental store. First off, though, I need to do a bit of housekeeping. Um, As you, as some of you will know at least, uh, Adventures in in VHS Episode 9 was originally intended to be a Charles Band special, Uh, I had put together an entire show covering uh, Charles Band's career, which looked at some of his most important films, how he came to play a massive role in the home video boom, and uh, also talking about some of his VHS and non-VHS related projects over the years. Um, And as I wanted to do a kind of audio mashup of some of the producers sort of greatest hits i even put a video together because that was an easier way to do it um that sort of that did that and and i put that out in a way that would sort of let people know that there was a charles band special coming soon um unfortunately the key to all this uh was an interview that had been set up with a contact at full moon pictures that kind of ultimately sort of fell through uh firstly because of a technical difficulty at my end and then secondly when we rescheduled because of some pressing commitments at their end um so it it kind of it was on and then it was off and then it was on and then it was off um and the problem is i've been trying to reschedule the interview since these sort of uh, stalls happened but if i'm being honest at this point it feels a little bit like the trail's gone cold um, so as you can imagine, I am, or I was, a bit bummed out to have done all that work and not be able to put a podcast out at the end of it. Um, but you know, these things happen. Um, it's also the reason why there was no episode at the end of February, and you're getting this new one uh, at the end of March. Um, but anyway, as as luck would have it, while all this was going on. Uh, with the to and fro in over the last episode, I was contacted by Jim Wynorski, who is someone who I'd been dying to speak to for some time, but just hadn't been able to, to get a hold of. Um, uh, but Jim kindly said that he could uh, fit me in. Um, so the answer was pretty si- simple. I would shelve episode X and proceed with episode Y, which is the, uh, the episode that you're listening to now. Uh, hopefully at some point I'll be able to rearrange the Charles Band interview and put out episode X but uh, in the meantime I am delighted to be able to focus my attention on on Chopping Mall partially because it's a film I've I've wanted to cover since the show began um, and you know a di- and Jim Wynorski is a director that I've been after since the the show uh, the show began but also because it's one that a lot of people have asked me if I'm going to cover like quite a few people have said you know, you should do Chopping Mall, or will you do Chopping Mall, or do you intend to do Chopping Mall, and stuff like that. So I know it's one that a lot of people love, and I'm hoping that uh, I I don't disappoint in that respect. Um, and now on to something else, which may or may not be good news, depending on how you look at it. Um, as some of you may or may not know, I recently stepped back from my role as co-host on another podcast that I uh, do or did, um, 35mm Heroes, which is the show I do with Jordan and Ian, uh, formerly of Eat, Sleep, Live Film. Um, and the reason for this was that I really felt that I needed to spend more time focusing on Adventures in VHS, the book. Um, now, sadly, for that very same reason, I'm afraid this will be the last episode of Adventures in VHS, VHS for a while. Um 
the show will be back. I'm not ending it. It, it will absolutely, definitely be back. Uh, so please, if you are subscribed, stay subscribed and new shows will come. But I just feel like I need to take a little bit of time out to make sure the book progresses as... Um, you know, it's kind of at an important stage and my time's being squeezed by work and other commitments elsewhere and I just really, really, really want to make sure I finish what I started and it doesn't end up as one of those things that, you know, you get halfway through and just kind of uh, never get around to finishing. I love doing this podcast and I'm having immense fun writing the book and collect- collecting tapes at a terrifying rate. Um, but as this is a one-man show, the the podcast does take quite a bit of putting together especially when you have to sort of rearrange interviews and stuff like that and I can't help but feel that I need to maybe give my other child a little bit more attention just for a bit um, which I hope you'll all understand so as I say the show will return there may be a little bit of a format change I'm thinking about potentially making it shorter but more frequent um, I'm I intend to invest in better equipment so it sounds better um, so I can assure you you know for though if for for those reasons alone, the show will be back. Um, and if the Charles Band interview can be resurrected, there will also be episode X that will just pop up on the feed. So please, please do stay subscribed because uh, it's not a, it's not a permanent thing, I assure you. Um, so, yep, yeah, apart from that, you can stick with me and follow me on Twitter uh, via at FilmRant uh, for updates on what's going on with everything, including the book, uh, which as I sort of suggested, is kind of about halfway done, but really needs me to sort of throw myself into it at the moment to make sure it's the best book that I can write. Um, But yeah, with all that business out of the way, let's get back to the task at hand as I ask you to once more sit back, adjust your tracking, and join me as I visit the place where shopping costs an arm and a leg. Chopping mall. They broke into the mall for the wildest all-night party of their lives. At that meat. But you're never alone. In the chopping mall. What's that? Robot life. Where shopping costs you an arm and a leg. Now, as I've talked about many times before, one of the greatest things about the VHS format um, and growing up with the VHS format and rental stores uh, is the artwork. Uh, The artwork is often so spectacular. And as a collector, I've now started to fall in love with some labels specifically more than others because of their tendency to do something kind of special with their cover art um the thing is back in the 1980s particularly in the pre-cert era most films had some sort of eye-catching artwork whether it was because they were so gruesome uh, like say driller killer or because they were incredibly beautiful to look at like maybe the original palace release of the evil dead or just because they made massive promises about what the film would actually feature um like maybe class of newcomb high something like that um Unfortunately, there is no shortage of movies from that time that either didn't deliver on that artwork or in some cases just out and out lied about what the film contained. Um, What's great about Chopping Mall, uh, though, is although it does take some artistic liberties with uh, with the design, it's a, a film that comes with a sleeve that is gory, is beautiful and promising, but it provides a front for a movie that is also incredibly enjoyable um so it is for that reason in terms of its sort of vhs release the complete package um this particular uk uh vhs x rental release that i hold in my hand uh was put out on first choice video uh, which is a sub label of the much more well-known vestron video or as it later became vestron video international um and as i say it comes with some pretty mind-blowingly powerful cover art so just to talk you through the sleeve i'm sure many of you will be familiar with it it's a beautifully hand-painted uh sleeve as many movies of the uh, the era were 
um, that is also sort of embossed with with some beautiful reflective silver uh, where the uh, where the font is and the sorry where the title is. Um, I am reliably informed at the top of this particular tape that this is a film that's available for one pound per night. Um, and the image, I'm sure many of you will have seen it. If you've not, check the uh, the artwork for this podcast, and you'll see it there. Um, is the fantastic hand painted image of a sort of cyborg type hand uh, holding a shopping bag full of body parts and uh, there's an eyeball poking out the top, a foot, an ear, a nose, a toe um, and bursting out the side of the bag is a sort of screaming head so um, yeah I'm sure many people, I don't think I need to go into too much detail about this cover, I'm sure loads of people will know what it looks like and uh, you've got Google, have a look um, but just below that fantastic, beautiful, gorgeous red and blue and highly colourful uh, image is uh, one of the taglines for Chopping Mall, uh, which is where shopping can cost you an arm and a leg which is brilliant uh, one of my favourite uh, one of my favourite taglines I must say and it's, it's just one of a few taglines actually, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute, and then down the side we've also got the, uh, the silver reflective uh, Chopping Mall font um, with another copy of a smaller image of the uh, the front cover without the writing um, first choice logo at the top and then turn around to the back I'll just read out the blurb for you for you first of all there's the uh, the title across the top um, uh, which says at Park Plaza Mall the new security force isn't just tight it's terrifying uh, and then the actual story blurb as we've got here is some people will kill for a bargain and at the Park Plaza Mall they do here, you can shop till you drop. Dead. High-tech robots equipped with state-of-the-art security devices have been recruited as the new mechanical night watchman for the Park Plaza Mall. When a jolting bolt of lightning short-circuits the main computer control, the robots turn into killbots, on the loose after unsuspecting shoppers. Four couples are trying to make it after hours in a mattress store. They make it all right. In the morgue. <laughs> At Park Plaza, you can save on everything but your life. Paul Bartel and Mary Warren of, of the hit thriller Eating Raoul are reunited. Plus, Russell Todd, Friday the 13th, Barbara Crampton, reanimator and from beyond, Kelly Maroney, Knight of the Comet, and Tony O'Dell, the Karate Kid. Chopping Mall, where they slash their prices and their customers. Um, so, yeah, just to go back to the tagline... Um, they have actually include managed to include the tagline in the blurbs a little bit. Um, for those of you who don't know, Chopping Mall is a movie that is blessed with a selection of fantastic taglines. Um, as I say in this one, they've gone with where shopping can cost you an arm and a leg. But back in July of 1987, um, when uh, Vestron Video and First Choice were submitting this movie to uh, to the BBFC, they could have picked any number of, of great uh, of great taglines. Uh, there's the simple yet kind of sinister "buy or die," uh, which is great. There's the pretty clever but slightly cumbersome chopping mall where they slash their prices and their customers. Um, and then there's the, the much funnier one, uh, probably the funniest of the lot, which is shop till you drop dead. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think what they did with this is they kind of pitched it in the middle somewhere with where shopping can cost you an arm and a leg because it's kind of funny, but it's kind of a gory idea. Um, but, yeah, I think... I don't know, it's probably the best tagline out of the lot actually because it's just, it's funny but it tells you that you're getting, it tells you exactly what you're getting. Um, so yeah, uh, the uh, this is a Vestron Video International release then but put out under the first choice label. However, when I pop the, uh, when I pop the cover open, uh, this is a Vestron Video International um, branded tape. So the actual label that we've got um, is branded Vestron Video Inter uh, International. Um, we're told on the tape as well that this is a 75-minute feature approximately, which is short, but that's great. I love a short movie. Um, and so at this point, I will just pop the tape into the machine and we'll take a look at the trailers. Okay, coming soon from Vestron Video. This is a tape that... Um, 
requires a bit of tracking, unfortunately. In the mine. Okay, this is clearly from beyond. A flight of imagination. Yeah, this is from beyond. So this is a movie that I have covered in the past. Um, I covered this movie for the original articles for Eat Sleep Live film, uh, Rentals Revisited, which were um, the series of articles that led me into sort of doing Adventures in VHS in the first place. If you haven't seen From Beyond, you really should, because it's fucking cracking. Um, it's one of those movies from the 1980s that has an awful lot of prosthetic effects. Um, a lot of them very enjoyable, a lot of them very gooey. Um, it's based, I think it's, is it HP Lovecraft story? It's a HP Lovecraft story. Um, and it's, it's sci-fi horror basically. Um, very gooey as I'm sure you can hear. Yeah, so it's kind of in that vein of Reanimator, really, in terms of style. And what do we have next? Ooh, wobbly sound, that's what we have next. Breakout on Prison Planet. Breakout on Prison Planet. Space Rage. Alright, this is a movie called Space Rage Breakout on Prison Planet, and... Oh shit, it looks quite good. Um, Prisons can't hold him. I think the title pretty much explains what uh, the movie is. Uh, this is about a guy who's probably wrongly accused of something or other. Um, and he's on a prison planet and he's trying to escape from it. It's got very hokey, cheap sci-fi effects. Uh, it looks like there's women on this particular prison planet, so we'll probably get some titties. Um, there's plenty of explosions, there's plenty of guns, there's car chases, there's people crashing into walls and at the center of it there's a guy with a ponytail who's trying to escape uh, I like the look of this I've got to be honest Space Rage Space Rage Breakout on Prison Planet directed by Conrad E. Falmasano um, big name hello Harry Crane Okay, this looks like a fairly terrible sex comedy. Of the bodies that have come through here. Because it's the 80s, we require you to take your clothes off. Harry Crane doesn't know it, but time is running out. Okay, this is a movie about a womanizing photographer. So there's loads of tits in this movie by the looks of it. There's even muff in the trailer. So, you know. If you get a trailer with full frontal muff, you're probably going to do quite well when the movie arrives. How's it going to look when the great Harry Crane gets thrown out on the street? How much did you have in mind? 60,000. Yeah, so Harry Crane is a photographer. He likes to take photographs of ladies and have sex with ladies, and he ends up at the center of some sort of... I came here to offer you a very lucrative ...mixed up deal. Who's an artist? And hilarity ensues. Look, shut up. Try and understand Harry for a change, okay? If you walk out of this, you walk out on the chance of a lifetime. Think about it. Weirdly, the lead actor, played by Stephen Markle, apparently, um, in that whole trailer, I think he said about two words. And this is a movie called Perfect Timing. Can you hear that music? This sounds incredible. Uh, the movie looks shit, though, so I won't be touching that. Hello, Boone. Um. Right, this looks like sort of fun action in the vein of sort of Indiana Jones. Uh, it's not quite the Indiana Jones ripoff that there were that a lot, you know that that happened a lot in the 1980s with stuff like, I don't know, Alan Quartermain and stuff. Um, but 
it looks like it's going for that kind of tone. So, oh, that's Nancy Allen as well, man. Um, yeah, okay, so this movie stars Nancy Allen and some dude uh, in the sort of semi-Indiana Jones role. Um, there's helicopter crashes, jeeps exploding, there's... It's probably more in the vein of... Um, yeah, it's probably more in the vein of something like Jewel in the Nile uh, or Romance in the Stone than it is anything else. Knott's Landing's Ted Shackleford is the lead in this movie. He, he was obviously a big name at the time. But it stars the gorgeous Nancy Allen. She looks a little bit older here, so this is probably... I'm guessing this is sort of uh, 86, 87. And the movie is called Sweet Revenge. It's available in ultra stereo, apparently, if you're interested. Okay, that's the Vestron logo. I'm thinking that might mean that this is the end of the trailers. Um, certainly looks that way. Um, so I guess then we shall get into Chopping Mall um, and after this short break I will give you the review of the movie itself. Hi, I'm John Water. Yeah, hi, this is Dolph Lundgren. Hi, I'm Lance Henriksen. Hi, this is Keith Gordon. Robert Kuhn. Miguel Ferrer. Nancy Allen. Robert Davi. Richard Elfman. Ileana Douglas. Patrick Warburton. Dwingshauser. Cliff DeYoung. Steve Railsbeck. Mr. D. William Cass. If you haven't been listening to the Projection Booth podcast, you're missing out. Each week, the Projection Booth brings you in-depth discussions of some of the most interesting movies ever made. I'm Mike White. No, the other one. I'm the guy who wrote the film fanzine Cashiers to Cinemart since 1994. Since early 2011, I've been co-hosting the Projection Booth podcast. Try us, won't you? I never try anything. I just do it. Visit the Projection Booth at projection-booth.com. All right now, for all you boppers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Riffs. It's a special one for Movie Meltdown. That's how we lie, a bunch of movie geeks with a show about some crazy movies. And I do mean Movie Meltdown. Here's a hit with them in mind. Come check out Movie Meltdown. News, reviews, and interviews about your favorite thing, movies. Ten dollars for the budget matinee. The budget yeah. matinee. This <laughs> is why we don't go to the theater. That's very right. Often. Come by and check it out at moviemeltdown.com. I kind of want to be able to mix it up and, and tie everything Variety into one big conglomerated mass of movie geekdom. And I don't know that's if we, we could. Are. That's what we are. Movie Meltdown for movie geeks by movie geeks. Be looking good, Movie Meltdown. You hear me, babies? Good. Real good. So, as I say, Chopping Mall isn't a videotape that's all mouth and no trousers. It delivers on not only its artwork, but also its premise. And I think, as we get into the sort of review s- section of the, uh, of the show, I'm going to talk mainly about three different things that make it such a success. Um, so yeah, spoiler, I love this movie. Um, the first thing is Chopping Mall has a very simple concept that uses fairly tried and tested genre movie ideas, almost like a, a blueprint for horror. Um, like a million other slasher movies before and after it, if if you want to call it a, a slasher movie, it has three main components. You've got a killer or killers, some kids to kill, and a unique situation or place to kill them. So, in this case, the killers are the newly installed and slightly overzealous security robots at the local mall. The kids are fairly typically oversexed teenagers who work at the mall, and the unique location or situation is obviously the mall. So all you need to do then is lock the doors, switch off the lights, and just let the chaos reign. Um, The second thing about Chopping Mall that makes it so successful, and I'll get into this a little bit more as we go through the review, is the way it's structured. Um, at 75 minutes it is pretty short but what you get is something that follows uh, a set pattern of events 
the setup for the film isn't too long. Um, you're introduced to the teenagers and you kind of know quite quickly what you're dealing with, who you're dealing with off the bat and how they'll probably behave when things start to turn to shit. Um, and you can also kind of guess from that which ones will be left alive at the end of it. But aside from that, the kills, tits, explosions and gore sort of come at these regular intervals. So you get a decent set of action beats that are delivered at a very sort of agreeable rate, just spread nicely over that short 75-minute runtime. But the third and probably most important thing that I think uh, it makes Chopping Mall such a success is that it knows exactly what it is and it has fun with it. Um, it absolutely delivers on what it sets out to do, but it does so with its tongue firmly in its cheek. So whether it's a, a shock kill or a cheeky one-liner or just something that's going on in the background... The film is happy to operate on a sort of dark comedy level, but at the same time, it never loses its status as sort of a drive-in style horror flick uh, with, with moments for people to cheer and throw popcorn around to. So I'll take you through some of the high points of the film. Um, first off, we start in a pretty spectacular style, I think, seeing exactly what the robots can do uh, when charged with taking down a mall thief. Stop right there. Stop right there and surrender your weapon. Are you safe? Brilliantly, though, it's revealed that all this is kind of a fake-out, and in fact this is actually a corporate video presentation to show the gathered employees and business owners, uh, although they actually come off more as stuck-up theatre critics, if I'm being honest, that in the future, any robbers who can't run up or downstairs will be fucked. I don't know, Mary, the one in the middle has an unpleasantly ethnic quality. And after this, we're into the credits uh, that show the hustle and bustle of a modern shopping mall. Uh, they feature a very quick appearance by an actor many will know as Joey from Nightmare on Home Street 3, stealing some records from a record store. Um, and interestingly, the credits still refer to the film's antagonists as killbots when it tells you, you know, killbots created by yada yada. Um, I don't think it was yada yada that created the killbots, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, and killbots is obviously the original name of the movie um, that was given to it on its original and much less successful first theatrical release. Um, but more importantly, the credits give us our proper listen to what I honestly think might be one of my favourite music scores ever. So just please, for one moment, bask in the sheer glory of Chuck Serino's wonderful, amazing Chopping Mall music. show on how amazing I think that score is, uh, but if I was going to do that, which I'm not, um, it would probably be important to say that beyond the fact that there's a fantastic theme tune there, there are music cues that are used throughout the film which are equally brilliant, but also used very, very well indeed. So take this early scene, for example. Okay, so exterior shot first of all, there's lightning going on at the mall, and then we get an interior shot of a darkened control room. Quick shot of the fuse box being hit by thunder. The supervisor then turns around to look at the robots over his shoulder, and we get a beautiful music cue like that. There's nothing going on, he turns back, lightning strikes again. And then we get... 
No, don't worry, you're being paranoid. Go back to your crossword puzzle. And then a little bit more lightning. Sets off the alarms. The music starts to speed up. Everything's getting a little bit intense. He manages to get everything under control just about. There's more lightning going on. We're getting more of the music building things up. Nope, everything's sorted. Don't worry. He puts down his newspaper. Has another talk of his cigarette. The robots still look like they're silent. He decides he's going to look at some porn. So he pulls out a centerfold. He opens the centerfold up. He holds it out in front of him to admire the wonderful, luscious 80s boobs. And then... Robot 1 comes online. And then the kill. And the last bit of music. Beautiful. As I mentioned earlier, Chopping Mall has plenty of fun. And there are bits and bobs everywhere to look out for. Uh, when we're introduced to the two central actresses uh, at their place of work, which is a, a filthy cafe, which has maybe the most unhygienic chef of all time, um, there's one example of this, because uh, we have sort of posters all over the walls of other Corman-produced, Wynorski-directed genre films like Saturday the 14th, Slumber Party Massacre, The Lost Empire, Galaxy of, Terrier, uh, Galaxy of Terror, and Barbarian Queen. A, a cafe of this type would have those posters on the wall seems very strange, but yeah, it's an opportunity um, for, for Corman and Wynorski to sneak in uh, some of their other work. Um so yeah, that's kind of one example of, of stuff to look out for. There is also one or two, or should I say, there are also one or two audio gags uh, that could easily be missed. Uh, one of my favourite being um, a Tanai call. When the mall's actually closing, there's there's a call over the Tanai that talks about a lost child in lingerie answering to the name of Steve. Um, I, I don't know, I chuckled at that. Um, but obviously in the, in the past... People have made um, comparisons between this film and Dawn of the Dead, basically because it involves a group of young people trapped in a mall who are under some sort of threat. I think it's it's a pretty vague comparison to make, but I do take some pleasure in it because it's another film that features something that I've always dreamed of, which is just getting locked in a shopping centre overnight. I've always really liked the idea of just being you know, locked in a shop where you've got access to all their toys and, and and gadgets and food and stuff like that and just just running free in a in a super in a supermarket or shopping mall when no one's around i think it'd be fantastic um but that is something that's cropped up in more than just chopping mall and dawn of the dead it's something that's that's featured in quite a few movies um you know aside from dawn of the dead and, and shopping mall you've got movies like mannequin um and career opportunities that did the same thing that did the same thing and you know who wouldn't want to be trapped in a in a in a shopping mall all night with Jennifer Connelly, especially Jennifer Connelly when she was eighteen years old. Um, but yeah, before long, anyway, back to the movie. Um, most of the teens are having sex in the mattress, um, the mattress store that they work in, obviously. Um, with the exception of two of the the nerdy kids who are bonding over attack of the crab monsters after having met for the first time and very clearly using music and visuals having fallen deeply in love with one another Ernie Mizell meet Allison Parks hi hi so yeah, those two are all gooey-eyed over each other, and meanwhile everybody else is is whacking their tits out and and stuff like that. So after a little light nudity um, and a little more expansion on the the characters, and I do say little, um, what else do we need? Well, that's right, we need a kill. So. Um, the movie gets on with technically what is its second kill, uh, but it's kind of the first proper kill, really. Um, and it's quite a comical one. Um, enter Walter Paisley, uh, who is a mall janitor played here by Dick Miller. Now, interesting fact, Walter Paisley, the character name here, um, is the exact same character name that Dick Miller has used in loads of other appearances. Uh, in Bucket of Blood, in Hollywood Boulevard, in The Howling, uh, and also Twilight Zone the movie, he's always played the character with the name Walter Paisley. You clumsy son of a bitch! Look what you did! I ought to turn you into scrap metal for this! 
AIC or identification badge, please. Identification badge? Do not make any sudden moves. Sudden move? I'll give you a sudden move upside your head. What the hell is that? What is this, you worthless pile of junk, huh? Hey, look. I'm like you, you know? I work here. See? Huh? See that? Oh, shit. I know you bastards were going to be trouble when I first brought you in here. So here Walter Paisley doesn't last too long, he only gets that one scene, and his death scene where he's kind of electrocuted and left smouldering on the, the floor of the mall um, is an up, an, another opportunity for kind of one of those audio gags that I'm talking about. You kind of see his body just lay there, just smouldering away, and over the top of that you hear... Uh, two of the teenage characters, Mike and Linda, talking to each other, with Mike telling her that smoking's bad for her. Um, so it's another indicator of the tone of the film. You know, sure, people are going to die in various ways at the hands of these terrifying Johnny Fives gone bad, but there are going to be gags and one-liners too. Um, the most notable of those sort of gags comes a little bit later on and really tells us that this is a film with its tongue firmly in its cheek. Um when one of the characters talks about, you know, she's just not she's just not used to the idea of, of spending all night in a mall and being chased around by killer robots. So, yeah, it's 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 just another indication of exactly what type of film we're dealing with here and where the level level of humour is and how well that humour is applied to sort of the horror elements of uh, of the piece and 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 how it's just all done for fun. Um, so yeah. Anyway, half an hour into the film, we've had our first kill. Things are escalating pretty quickly. Um, once the lowly janitor has been dispatched, Mike gets his throat cut out, um, and again, the film really feels like it's picking up speed at this point. So Mike's been killed, and Linda sort of wanders out into the mall to to try and find him, um, and she meets an even more extravagant end. First off, there's the classic genre shot composed of a uh, screaming teen in her underwear that's sort of running limply towards the camera. If you think Tina in Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of that look. Um, and there's the weaponry of the killbots, which has been stepped up to sort of lethal laser guns. Um, and yeah, great. What could be better? Well, if you don't know how Linda meets her end, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but um, it sounds a little bit like this. <laughs> Yeah, so use your imagination and try and figure out what that death is. Um, from there, though, there's a lovely spell of absolute carnage. Again, the pace is just continuing to pick up. Uh, the killbots know that there are unauthorized personnel in the building. They've managed to get themselves all online, and they've set about taking these teenagers down by any means necessary. And, you know, apparently they aren't programmed to consider damage to mall property. They just get busy blasting through things and cutting doors open and, and just mashing down anything that stands in their way um and then they sort of take over the security doors and we get a wonderful silhouette of a killbot that just looks quite iconic and lovely um there's kind of the silhouette of a killbot uh up against some shutters and you see uh the security do doors close as it's kind of twitching with its claws it's it's beautiful really really nice um and at this point you start to get to know more about the killbots in in the way that Yes, they are sort of they are programmed to sort of take down um, intruders, but whatever's happened to them because of this lightning strike um, has kind of made them a bit cruel. <laughs> like the the lasers that they're using, and and these are lasers that we that we know are, are pretty powerful and can explode things quite easily. The lasers that they're using, they just they, it's almost like they're stinging the teenagers as they're running away. It's almost like they don't want to kill them, like they're sort of hunting them for fun. Um, See, so I think you really get the idea by this point that the killbots are a little bit cruel and a little bit nasty, and they just want to be, you know, they just want to be cruel to these teenagers. They know we're in here. They're trying to French fry us. Oh yeah, they want to French fry you. Then that's probably the the, the phrase I was looking for. Um, yeah. So we've had the setup. We've had a couple of kills. We've had pure carnage. What's next? Well. Obviously, it's time for the teens to get tough and suit up with as much weaponry as they can. Um, and so, uh, once again, we in the UK are, are reminded that the term sporting goods, uh, or in this case, the ominously named Peckinpah sporting goods, uh, means something very different in the United States. Um, if they were at a sporting goods store in the UK, all they would have found was plimsolls and shuttlecocks. But because this is Peckinpah's sporting goods and this is a US mall, there are tanks and revolvers and pump-action shotguns and, um, when I say ga tanks, I mean gas tanks, not 
actual tanks that's that's probably too strong even for an american sporting goods store but yeah so they start the kids start to load themselves up with with that type of gear meanwhile the females not content with John McLean in their way through the ventilation system, they've decided that they're going to go back to the boys and sort of, you know, they're going to fight. They're all going to fight together to take down these uh, these horrible robots. Uh, and so they set about making industrial strength Molotov cocktails. So, yeah, things are kind of ramped up and the teenagers have, have decided that they're going to take control of the situation. Let's go send those fuckers a Rambogram. Or send a Rambogram, yeah. Again, that's probably the phrase I was looking for. Um, I love that every now and again you get that dramatic music back for these just individual lovely little cues. Um, if there was a chopping, a chopping mall game, and I may well invent one, um, I would say that these sort of like dramatic sounds that you hear every now and again, um, these dramatic sort of music cues would definitely be uh, one of the moments where you'd be forced to take a drink. Uh, probably other ones would be anytime you see Mike chewing gum or um, anytime you sort of see one of the robots twitch. The, the, the possibilities for, for a choppy mall drinking game are, are, are endless. Um, so yeah, by this point... Um, you start to wonder, well, what could be next on the agenda after everything that we've had? We've had the sex, we've had the violence. We sort of need a chase scene, um, and you get one, and it's a blinder. And it's just more proof that the success of this film is that it sort of goes along and ticks all these boxes in the in the best possible way. And it doesn't stall, it doesn't stop for too long. Um, there is only really one minute of downtime once things kick off that sort of allow the kids to, to sit back and reflect on what's been going on. The fact that people have died and fractures have started to appear in the group as sort of blame creeps in and people start to get scared about what's going on. But it's during this moment that the kids sort of assemble a plan that really should take us tidily into the third act. Um, once again, Winarski isn't fucking around with the rules. He just goes, right, we need to get this movie into the third act now. So let's push on with a little bit of downtime, a little bit of drama, and then, you know, what's the plan for the third act? Wait, I got an idea. The master computer is somewhere on the third level. We shut it down, it shuts the robots down. It's worth a try. Computer, huh? Let's go trash the fucker. But before we get to the climax, there's time for one scene, which is incredibly impressive in terms of the way it's shot, uh, I feel, anyway, to, to just stir up a little bit of drama. Um, Alison has been left alone and is being pursued by the killbot with the broken visor. And you get this awesome mix of shots. First off, you see Alison run sort of towards the, the camera, uh, and then there's the killbot sort of tracks around the corner. Um, and then there's this beautifully, beautifully done moment where the camera sort of pulls into a close-up on the robot. Uh, then there's a, a few sort of little POV shots from the robot uh, as he sort of walks around looking for it. And then it's just, as it passes the screen, it's sort of revealed that Alison is hanging off the balcony. It's quite a short little spell and, and quite a short little mix of shots, but... It's just the way it's the way it's shot and the way it's edited just it re works really really well, um, but it is this section that sort of leads us into our climax. You know, most of the other teenagers are not around by this point. Um, Alison is the obvious final girl, um, and she's sort of. Uh, She's taking everything into the climax. The climax is one that completely ignores the idea of finding and shutting down the central computer um, that controls the security robots. So I think you could argue that that's a bit of a, a bit of a flaw in terms of plotting. But the truth is, um, what you get is a much more explodey and fun finale than than you would have ever got through you know the simple flick flick of a switch in a control room. Um, so yeah. It's 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 definitely a payoff climax. Um, it's not one that uses where the plot has been going, um, but it's kind of it's the one that you want really. Um, you do get the feeling that they kind of they thought about they thought about the idea of just having everybody get to the control center, flick the switch, and then they've won. But then maybe they thought, well, you know, they didn't do that. Cameron didn't do that in Terminator. Let's do something a bit more explodey. Um, so it is, you know, it is a payoff and it does work. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my review of Chopping Mall. Um, as I'm sure you can tell, it's a movie that I love. The reason that I love it so much is because it's fun and it just delivers. Um, it follows that pretty 
tried and trusted structure. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, there's moments of comedy. There's moments of horror. There's moments of shock. Um, there's you know it, there's there's some good stuff in there. Um, you know, and aside from all that, the effects are decent. The robots themselves are pretty sweet, uh, managing to seem quite menacing uh, throughout, and and sort of, uh, but at the same time almost sarcastic in the way they deliver lines um it's yeah it's 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 fantastic in that respect and then you've got that perfectly pitched score which just adds that real extra layer of sheen all over everything so yeah all in all chopping mole is an absolute piece of class um and i'm proud to own a, a pristine vhs copy of it um i only hope it'll cope with the many rewatches that it'll receive in the years to come i guess i'm just not used to being chased around a mall in the middle of the night by killer robots so we've talked a little bit about 1986's Chopping Mall and I'm thrilled to be able to say that I'm joined by the film's director now, Mr. Jim Winorski is with me. Jim, thanks very much for joining me today. Absolutely proud to be here. So um, it's, it's, it's been a long time since Chopping Mall. Uh, I'm sure you probably agree with that. Um, yes, I do. And aside from, it, aside from it being kind of a long-time favourite of mine, it is also a film that like, an awful lot of people have asked me to cover for the show. So I'm just wondering, what do you think it is that keeps people talking about it You know, some 27 years down the line? Well, I had a lot of fun making it. It was, uh, it was a show that uh, is near and dear to me because it was really uh, my, the first film I directed for uh, the Cormans. And... Uh, I wanted to, you know, have it blessed with some of the familiar faces that Roger had used, like Dick Miller and Paul Bartell, and uh, it was a lot of fun to make, and uh, I think that kind of comes out in the, the viewing. Absolutely, and, and, and obviously it was made kind of quite early on in your career, so I'm just, I'm wondering, is it something that you sort of look back on very fondly as being important to, to that to, to getting you started in, in Hollywood or well you know it it was a theatrical under the original title of of uh, Killbox yeah. it was a theatrical failure and it, it 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 played several locations and did very little business and uh, Roger said Roger Corman said it was a uh, uh, a good film, and uh, he brought it back, and we were looking at it, looking at it, and saying, "What what did we do wrong?" And the uh, the consensus was that we needed a new title, mm -hmm. and uh, the guy that changed uh, the um, light bulbs in um, the small theater where we screened it happened to be there that day. And uh, we were just watching the show and we were discussing it afterward and he just piped up and said, why don't you call it Chopping Mall? And that's how the title became what it is. Um, uh, Roger and I looked at each other and I said, that's a great title. And then I shouted out, we're half off is just the beginning and where shopping costs you an arm and a leg. And from there, it just took off, and we, we changed the poster, and it was a very big success after that. Absolutely, and, and you bring up the poster there, and, and, and obviously it's, it's the same poster as, uh, as is on the, the UK VHS artwork. I'm just wondering what kind of... It's, it's one of the most impressive VHS sleeves I think I have. Um, what kind of sort of input do you get on that as a director, or, or what kind of input do you get on that as a did you get on that as a director way back then? Well, I, I helped put together the original one-sheet poster here in the United States because mm. I had worked in advertising prior to uh, directing. And then Vestron, who had the, the post, had the film for video, uh, redid the poster with, with, a, with a new artist because they thought they could do a better job. And they did do a better job. And uh, I think that's the, the artwork that has 
remained over the years. Mm. And it was uh, it was shot at the Sherman Oaks Galleria, um, which a lot of people will be familiar with from from many many movies, both before and after. Yeah, well, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, one of the I think one of the final films shot there. Uh, Commando with Schwarzenegger had been had been photographed there. Fast Times at Richmond High. Yeah. Um, they they were pretty much against us coming in there because the other films had been very destructive to the mall. They had really you know ripped up the place, and so they were watching us very carefully. And um, uh, there was a scene in the movie where. Uh, uh, one of the people catches, well, I think Barbara Crampton catches on fire in the middle of the mall, and they were very, very uh, concerned about that. Uh, but they, uh, they let us build a new floor um, and put it down on top of the old floor, and we did that scene. And uh, they were very, they were very, they were very uh, good about it. Finally, they gave us a lot of um, permissions. Fabulous. So it's I've I've interviewed a, a few different directors who who were busy working around that time or kind of got their their start around the time that that Chopping Mall was made or perhaps a little bit before. Um, and one thing that that seems to come up or has come up certainly with a couple of different people is that is how the sort of the the home video boom really opened up what had previously been what could be described as sort of a pretty closed industry of Hollywood. Is that something you'd agree with? Did VHS have a big impact on your career? Uh, you know, the uh, video video had been uh, starting to get very successful um, in the mid-'80s, and uh, shop, Shopping Mall was a very big success because it didn't cost a lot of money to make, and it was, it was in practically every video store. That film and my second, my next film after that was Death Stalker 2. Both of those films, you know, had a very, very uh, lively career in the video shops. And uh, you mentioned Death Stalker 2 there as well. Um, Death Stalker 2, and you did Big Ma- Big Bad Mama 2, and Return of Swamp Thing, and Sorority, ha- Sorority House Massacre 2. Would you say that there was kind of a, a hunger for sequels that was maybe a byproduct of the home video era as well, or...? Absolutely, I think uh, the sequels were 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 very much sought after. I've done a lot of part twos, and the trick was to do the the part twos that where you could improve on them. You know, if you if there was a well, you know, it's like when you're making a sequel to something like Die Hard or uh, or um, you know something that was very successful. Sometimes if you fail on part two, um, but. This was a case where, you know, I tried to pick my sequels with with regard to the fact that the first one may not have been um, exactly up to what the uh, fans wanted. And uh, so I always tried to make my part twos either um, different or more elaborate than their part ones. Mm-hmm. And are there any films in your back catalogue maybe that, that were either sequels or originals? Are there any films in your career that you think you'd you'd maybe love the chance to go back and revisit maybe for a sequel or a remake or well there's a couple I'd like to bury <laughs> and which ones you know? might they be there's a couple you know I I I, I very much hate Vampirella because of all the tampering that was done to it uh, prior to shooting um, and during shooting it's one of those films where um the only real positive things that came out of it were that you know I got to meet with Roger Daltrey and uh, and work with him, but the rest of it was a nightmare. Uh, there's an, also another film called uh, I think it's called Victim of Desire here in in uh, in the USA, and it might be called Implicated mm-hmm. in the in the foreign market, but. Um, under any title, it's a it's a dog because the, the script was was unintelligible when I was reading it. I said, I, I don't know who committed the murder here. I don't know why they committed a murder here. But the, the the producer kept saying, just make it, just make it. And so I made it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, after after the whole thing was done, everybody 
around and said, well, why are these people doing this? And I said, that's what I asked before the script was finished. Why are these people doing this? But again, those are the two that I really kind of remember as being not so good. So would you ever consider perhaps the opportunity to make a, a sequel to Chopping Mall? You know, I, I've been told that someone's going to remake it, right. but I don't see it coming yet. Um, I, I, I wouldn't want to revisit that because the, a sequel would be just... I, I, you know, when everybody asks me for a sequel, I always say, just watch the first one again. <laughs> and um, because it's hard to make a sequel to something that everybody loves, okay, and, and do it as well as the first one. And, and as I said, you know, I've always tried to pick my sequels, the ones I've done part twos on, uh, or, th- or four, part fours on, I would like to do something that's, that's a little bit different or better than the first one. Yeah. So, but on Chopping Mall, everybody seems to kind of gravitate to that picture. Uh, for one reason or another, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even attempt a sequel. Well, I have absolutely no problem watching it over and over again, anyway. So, uh, so that's absolutely. Yeah, safe. It's, it's. I mean, I mean, what would you do if you did a sequel? Just the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Today would be CGI robots. Yeah. And uh, and you know, different, different. There's a different ethic mm. to what what kids are doing now, and there's there would there be there's, there's cell phones. There's, there's all the things that, they, that didn't exist back then that would get them out of that situation. Well, just sort of speaking about how things have developed as well, since Chopping Mall, um, you've obviously been very, very busy over the years with, with pretty much one or more film every year. But during that time and since the days of VHS, obviously, the distribution models have changed quite dramatically with sort of like video on demand and DVD and Blu-ray and online streaming. I was just wondering how you've how you've been able to keep up with that and develop with it. Has it been a difficult change, or has everything been kind of organic? Yeah, everything, you know, it's always it's always difficult because you you get stuck in a in a mode that that worked for you in nineteen ninety nine, and then the mode changes in two thousand one, and the mode changes again in two thousand four, and if you, if you don't change with it. You, you you get left behind. Uh, the thing I think that everybody's really concerned about these days is is uh, piracy on the internet, which is something I just detest. Um, but it's it's done not just with movies, with, with music, books, whatever whatever you know people can share, they do share, and you know it's 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 almost unstoppable. And you just have to rely on the fact that some other some people are honest and, and will pay for what they what they think is what they want. And um, so I'm a very I'm a big anti, you know piracy anti piracy advocate. Uh, but it's you know the the market has changed, like I say, and and you have sort of stayed on top of it. So how do you like how's the distribution side of things changed? Do you get involved in that at all, or is it literally just? Well, there's this streaming and, and Netflix and, um, you know, I, I've, I'm just now uh, made a deal with Netflix to release um, uh, a couple of my really old movies, like my, my, my first one, The Lost Empire. Um, I got the rights back and uh, I'm going back to the original negative and uh, sound elements and remaking a high-def version of it. Oh, nice. In, in, in widescreen, which I think a lot of people will enjoy seeing. Absolutely. So, what, uh, with the exception of The Lost Empire, which was, if I remember, I think that was your, the first VHS first film. release. Yeah, it was the first film that was released of yours on VHS over in the UK as well. Um, mm-hmm. But what sort, what sort of new things have you got on the horizon? Are you, are you currently working on, on something new for 2013? Or? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing two films next month mm-hmm. for HBO, two uh, erotic late night movies for HBO. Uh, they pay very well and um, they're really fun to make. And uh, they're not really creative, but it, it, they do allow me something I, I haven't had since the 80s and that's uh, I can do anything I want. Mm-hmm. And 
after 1991 or 92, when I, everybody started getting getting um, very conscious of what was being made, and a lot of orders and and uh, and dictums were handed down, and I had to I had to follow them or not work. So when uh, in around 2004 or five, I think I made my first erotic for HBO, and there was nobody there. It was just me. Mm-hmm. So I just made what I wanted again, and, and I threw a lot of humor and stuff at it, and it was, it was very successful. It was called The Witches of Breastwick. I think that did come out in the UK. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, since then, I've been ma- I've just made a little s- s- side career of making those, and uh, uh, they've been very successful for me. Um, and the bigger films like the sci-fi pictures like Piranha Conda, I believe that just came out in the UK, um, and uh, Camel Spiders, and I have another one called the uh, remake of the original giant Gila monster, which is coming out very shortly. Fabulous. So it sounds, like I say, like you're, you're continuing to stay busy, and that's great. Um, I think I can speak on behalf of everybody listening to this when uh, we say thank you very much for chopping all, and we wish you all the best with everything that's on the horizon as well. Um, so I guess all that remains for me to do is say thank you once again for joining me today, and, and thanks again, Jim Winoski. All right. Well, thank you for calling, and uh, I uh, wish all your listeners well. So that was Adventures in VHS episode 9, Chopping Mall, which, as I say, will be the last show for a while as I go off to focus on the book a little bit more. I'm not completely disappearing from the podcasting world, though, as you'll probably hear me pop up on 35mm Heroes as a guest from time to time. Uh, For example, I'll be rejoining the band for uh, the upcoming reviews on both The Evil Dead and Iron Man 3, two films that I'm very excited about and simply couldn't stay away for. Um, and I might even turn up on Dude and a Monkey if they decide to lower their standards again and let me on. Uh, So yeah, I'll be popping up here and there. More importantly though, and you can quote me on this, Adventures in VHS will return. I have certain plans for a revamped show that will come along when I've had a chance to nail down a bit more stuff on the book, Um, and hopefully there'll be issues like improved sound quality, it might be a little bit more frequent um, it might be a little bit more short and punchy and, and trimmed down because uh, these are quite long episodes usually um, so as I say do stay subscribed and keep an eye out for all that other good stuff um, apart from that you can keep track of the Adventures in VHS project if you like uh, by visiting adventuresinvhs.com which will redirect you to filmrand.co.uk but it's easier to remember adventuresinvhs.com and you can follow me via Twitter at FilmRant. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed the show as much as I've enjoyed making it. And I will speak to you all very, very soon. ta